What no one told me is two things. Festivals don't lean towards movies that are longer than 15 minutes, right? So my short is 24 minutes. Um, no one told me that. I wish, I wish someone had. And no one told me that festivals are usually in favor of those more shock value films. Hi, I'm Leslie Lepage, the director of La Femme International Film Festival, and this is a podcast for people who are interested in advancing their careers in television and film and learning the dirty little secrets of Hollywood. Today, I'm very pleased to have on the podcast Frank Kelly, and he is the founder and creative director of Real City Films, a film and video production company dedicated to creating content for brands and agencies. Uh, some of his big brands, Bacardi, Princess Cruise Lines, the Biltmore Hotel, Mercedes-Benz, and a whole bunch of others. I just won't bore you with those celebrity brand names. Um, he was also the producer and creator of The Real Miami Project, a short film series released in 2013, designed to showcase Miami through a series of films. Um, and he has and has written and directed this uh, amazing script called The Critic which is a short. It's his official directorial debut in narrative uh, filmmaking. We're going to talk about that, too. Welcome, Frank. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here uh, and to be involved in such a... Uh, it's such an interview. Well, there you go. Um, so I'd like to start off. How on earth did you get sucked into entertainment? Dealing with brands, really, but then, uh, you know, segueing from, from that into other things. Right. So um, I remember like it was yesterday. It was I was working for a PR agency called the Nixon Group in Miami. Um, and my brain always thinks from a marketing perspective. Um, and so, you know, it was PR, it was, it was maybe like a few, 2001, uh, and it was dial-up. Remember, we were still using dial-up internet, and, and but emails where we were just able to start downloading trailers and, and little mini videos online, and I remember I got the email for the BMW branded short film series with Clive Owen. And that blew my mind. Like, I remember thinking, holy crap, this is what I want to do. I want to make movies that, that, that integrate brands. And it just stuck with me. So much so that um, I never got into filmmaking. Uh, many years after that, I kept doing marketing, worked for Johnson & Johnson. Uh, then 10 years ago, they laid off my entire department. And I, I pulled a Jerry Maguire. I was like, woohoo, who's coming with me? They gave us a year's worth of severance. Uh, so I had a year and three months of, of getting paid, I remember. And I said to myself, this is my window. I'm never going to get another chance like this um, where I can change careers. And in that year and a half, I, uh, I picked up a camera, a Panasonic GH5 camera, and I educated myself on how to shoot, then how to edit, then how to direct, then how to compose a team and then how to reach out to an agency and and that just that was exactly 10 years ago well roughly 10 years ago um but yeah it all began because of that clive owen bmw series that's that's where i just love for creating content and brands and all that and now that's slowly segueing into you know more narrative stuff and so when you when you made that that leap that jerry Maguire, i'm off on my own leap 
what what was your first brands that you created or what was the first pieces of content you created um, out of that learning curve? Well, the, so the, the first thing I did is, first of all, learn how to use these cameras. And I, what I did is I looked at, I've got one here, funny enough, because we were just looking at something. But this is the GH5, the Panasonic, and it's touted as one of the most budget-friendly cameras that gives you a cinema quality. This is 10 years ago. Now there's a lot better cameras on. But 10 years ago, this was the most affordable camera you can buy. Um, and then they also have these lenses here, the Nikon Nikkor lenses. They are legacy. They're from the 70s. And someone figured out that if you combine these, these still lenses with this camera, you get footage that looks very cinematic. Um, so I learned how to do all that 10 years ago. And then once I knew what I was doing, I went to the boat show and I just, uh, no, no, I'm sorry. I had a friend of mine that had a boat and we did just a spec. We did a, a, a one, two minute video on a boat. And then I took that on an iPad to the, to the Miami boat show. And I just hustled the boat show. And I went around and showed the video to as many marketing directors as I could. One of them gave me a chance and then the rest was history. I did a few more boat shows, did some hotel. Sorry, I did some boat videos, lifestyle videos, did some hotel lifestyle videos. Uh, and that's all led to, you know, every one of those is a stepping stone to the next gig that I got, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting, because I, I also have a marketing background, filmmaking background. Um, and not a lot of people understand that really marketing helps and can direct your filmmaking in a way that's interesting because you are doing it from a different perspective. So how did your background in, in the ad agencies, how did that influence your style of uh, content creation? Mm. Um, two things, right? So I guess, I guess watching, using those Clive Owen BMW films as a template, to your point, I, I guess my marketing background always... It, my marketing background always keeps the end consumer top of mind for me, right? So um, so the way I work is who's the end consumer and then create something that's going to inspire them, right? Whether it's an agency that hires me to do a, or whether it's the client that hires me directly to do a video for Princess Cruise Lines, I'm always thinking of what's going to be most pleasing to the end user so that they book. Um, and now that I've started writing my first narrative, I guess that's translated into I write very crowd pleasing stories because I guess that's so embedded in my brain. Um, you know, I have no intentions to to tell stories that hit on a certain political chord or a social economic chord. I, I think that's great. I think there's a lot of filmmakers that do that and they do it very strongly because they're adamant about a cause. Um, in my opinion, for me, I believe that space is for the news, uh, and I believe the screen is a space for escapism and uh, the ultimate way to, to, to escape the most amount of people is in a crowd-pleasing story. Um, so I'm big on crowd-pleasing films, like you can see there. Back to the Future, E.T. Uh, you know, that, that, that's what my mind gravitates towards. Right, which is the commercial uh, popcorn uh, uh, type of um, consumerism that you're going for, which is great. I mean, that is what makes the business go around. Um, you know, if we could all if we could all create, you know, that that Top Gun Maverick, that would be awesome, right? <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, 
Oh, um, you know, I do have a few of those more indie, indie faves, like one or two that are a little bit more shock value. But but that but those don't come to me as naturally as the the popcorn stuff, the the crowd pleasers I call. So, um, moving from this very successful um, uh, creation of taking these brands, these uber high end brands. I mean, you've dealt with Bacardi and Princess Cruise Lines and Biltmore Hotel and SNL hotels. I mean, these are not you know tiny. Un- unknown entities they're not mom and boppers um and and really working with uh those executives and creating the content that really pleases them for their end users um you also somehow squeezed in creating this miami project right where you had a whole bunch of these short films to showcase Miami, what was the goal on that? How did you get those film? How did this come about? Right, right. Good question. Um, so that's actually the first thing I did when I got laid off. Um, because my, you know, I knew, I knew I wanted to get involved in movies. And at that moment, I hadn't even started picking up a camera yet. I, I got laid off and I talked to a buddy. I had, I had one or two really good filmmaker friends that are still my dear friends in town. And I said to them, hey, I'm going to put on my marketing hat. I have an idea. Create six short films that showcase a city. Every film, every short film showcases a different neighborhood. So, I, Leslie, where are you based out of L.A.? Or, so you might want to be West Hollywood, the Santa Monica. And you'd pick a hotel. And then that movie would showcase the hotel, but that surrounding area. And so the theory is that if you watched all these films... You'd walk away with five entertaining stories, but also get a better insight into, oh, okay, I, I now understand. If I'm not from L.A., I now understand what's, what the difference is between, between Santa Monica and Hollywood, or Hollywood and West Hollywood, right? Um, you know the difference, but the average outsider does not. And so so that was the idea with the Real Miami Project. Um, and and I knew I could only do what I knew, what I knew how to do at this point in my career, and that's to manage and so managing a, a project is really producing. Um, so I was a creator and producer of the Real Miami Project. And we were going we to do six films. Um, but because I was so green on budgets, all the directors were like, yeah, we'll do each for 5K. And then the bill started adding up and each short film was 20K. So I blew my budget that, that, that Bacardi gave. Bacardi was sponsoring it. I blew that budget fast. Um, and I was just so frustrated that, that I was so close to the stories because each director would pitch me the story and then I would help them co-write it or make some adjustments to make it more crowd-pleasing. Because I did get a lot of scripts that were not crowd-pleasing. I did, get a, I did get a lot of scripts that, to me, I thought, you know, I, I gave you the direction. It's, it's a movie that will attract viewers to want to come to Miami. And there was that one director that, that sent me a script where there's a man's arm hanging out of a door at the ending, like... That's not going to attract anyone to Miami. So, so there is something to be said about what you mentioned earlier. Is that like you know I think filmmakers should put on their end consumer hat many times, right? Even if they're writing horror or even if they're writing some of the shock value, just think of something that you know. How are you going to get most audience members to watch uh, what you create? But um, but so that was the real Miami project um, with the SLS Hotel and Bacardi and a few other brands. Um, and, and so when that was done, it was so much work with the event that we had a screening event, at the hotel, 
I was still so frustrated that I was so close to the process, but yet couldn't put my words and my ideas and my framing on the screen. And that's why I picked up this guy shortly thereafter. So the crit... Educate myself. So the critic is is that arc coming around full circle, right? I started producing these short films, narrative. I then went into the commercial world to really learn how to write, direct, DP myself. And then now I'm back kind of continuing that Real Miami project with with the critic. Right. We're going to talk about the critic in a minute. But um, I just want to touch on, you know, you didn't go through film school. You didn't start making films at age 19, right? Um, which is the trajectory of a lot of the Gen Zs and, you know, and the alphas coming up through that generation. Do you feel that you somehow are missing something? Do you feel that, you know, jumping into the game, you know, not when you're 19 is an asset, not an asset? What's your take on that? Twofold. I see how it's been a huge advantage and I see how, what the disadvantage has been for both. The huge advantage is that I don't abide by Hollywood rules. Like I don't abide, like I, I just, I, I, luckily now in the world of YouTube University, you can watch enough videos. You know, when I was laid off in the beginning, I had nothing to do but just watch videos on YouTube and learn how to, how to, the technical part of being a filmmaker, right? Um, and so the advantage was, thanks to that, I could learn. And I just went out and it, I, no one gave me a, a, a rule book, right? I just went out and knocked on some marketing doors. I had done PR for many years, so I, I, I kind of knew the whole PR game. You know, how you just talk to people and, and, and present them your ideas and try to convince them on, on what you're selling. Um, so that's the, that's the advantage, I think. And I, 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 I did an MBA, right? So I have a master's degree in business. So that taught me a little bit of sales skills. Uh, and those 10 years in Johnson & Johnson gave me some strong sales skills as well. So that's been the advantage. The disadvantage is that when it comes to now creating films, narrative, I have no idea how the Hollywood model works, right? And so Dances with Films was my first foray into a narrative short that I directed and attended that festival. And it was fascinating because there were so many panels on like distribution, financing, um, you know, you got to attach a producer who's, who's done a film before. And then, which is a question I have for you, Leslie, because I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that this, this is all about how to, how to learn how, to, how, that, that, how this, that process works. But like, you know, do you attach a manager for a, a producer first and then try to find good talent or do you find good talent? And so, that's what that's where I'm at now. My career is okay. I feel like I've gone far enough in in the commercial world, and I'll still do that for bread and butter. But now it's okay. How do I make my mark as a narrative filmmaker? Well, it's interesting because uh, I love having you on be, because you're currently in the thick of it, meaning you're currently going through the festival circuit. You've got content that you are debuting for the first time, and you're not, you know, a young upstart. Um, uh, debuting this as your career path. So uh, there's interesting things you can talk about. Um, what has the experience been like uh, going through with the critic? Um, and then I want to backtrack on how that started and the shooting and all of that. But what's the experience currently right now in the festival circuit as you're hustling 
the critic through those waters. Right, the festival. Easy. That's something that, um, again, no one told me because the the disadvantage is I didn't know a lot about this. I just, it was during COVID, you know, we were all washing our, our fruits and our apples, right? Remember those days? And and I, 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 I had this book lying around, Save the Cat. Um, and I just read it. I read it forward and backwards a few times. I dissected it. Um, and I built a story around that, and that's the critic. I built a story that, that adheres to those beats. Um, and then we, 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 I, got, I have great DP friends of mine that do theatric work or film. So I assembled my whole team. I, had, I paid for it myself. I had my own budget. What no one told me is two things. Festivals don't lean towards movies that are longer than 15 minutes, right? So my short is 24 minutes. Um, no one told me that. I wish, I wish someone had and no one told me that festivals are usually in favor of those more shock value films, right? That leave you guessing at the end, that leave you in, um, you know. And so where the crowd pleasers, you know, they say, if you're going to make a crowd pleaser film, then go to Hollywood. Um, go to the big studios, right? Um, because that's where they make those films. So those are the two things that, that, um, that I... That it, I I wish someone had told me earlier. I'm I'm still incredibly proud of what we did with the critic. I'm I'm very proud uh, that that is my first foray into narrative. Um, again, I'm just overall so pleased on how how that film came together. But yeah, someone if someone had given me those notes, I maybe would have would have created a not as successful film, but at least it would have adhered to the festival circuit the, adhering to those rules it really depends on the festival that you're soliciting on you know if that's what they're going for because each festival is like dating a girl right some are blonde and some are brunette and some are tall and some are short and some are thin and whatever <laughs> so it depends on what kind of you know festival you're dating <laughs> um so so, um, but in the festivals that you've attended so far, what's your takeaway that you can talk about where that might be insightful for those listening in going, oh my gosh, you know, doing this the first time I should have done blah, 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 or I learned or, you know, what were your takeaways? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll share with you the advice that the programmers gave us and I thought it was profound and, you know, the programmers the dance with films is very good about you know their whole mission is undiscovered talent and so where other festivals like the Miami Film Festival will have a portfolio of films each year that that you know it may have the I Love Lucy movie with uh, Nicole Kidman and then you'll have an array of unknowns but what I love about dance with films is it's all about unknowns so so what they do and I know they're not I know many festivals do this is they really book a lot of panels and a lot of seminars and a lot of special cocktail, what they call cocktail and conversations, which is a smaller group with over drinks. And so my advice to everyone in this room is the same advice that they, Leslie from Dance With Films gave me is attend. Like, I, I mean, try to watch as many movies as you can, but if you have to prioritize, you know, go to all the panels because they've got topics on distribution, on financing, on casting, um, you know, stuff that you can use as fuel for your next film and, and for your next project. So yeah, I would say attend every every panel they have there, and there were a lot. There was like one every, there was a one hour panel every day, and then there was a one hour cocktail 
and conversations every night. So yeah, that's the same advice I give our filmmakers in attending. You know, our networking parties. We have late night parties. Um, attending the late night parties, attending all the seminars because you're having an opportunity to really experience from professionals who have done it. You know, their advice, their path, and. And, and it's super important to walk away with the most you can get out of that festival. You know, if you can't attend, I totally get that. You know, send your film in and let them screen it. But, you know, if you can actually make it out, um, that that's really great. How did the... How, oh, go ahead. Well, and then you got to know your festivals, right? Like, you got to do the little homework. Like, some festivals just don't maybe, you know... Maybe they don't have as much panels. you got to ask the programmers. I mean, if you get a feel that it's just every night movie screening then it is what it is and you, and you and you decide if you go to that for more of that cocktail screening experience um but you have a handful from what i've learned that that really invest in 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 their filmmakers growing and and that's where these panels come in yeah that's uh that, that's what we do we we want to nurture and and provide those networking opportunities not only amongst the filmmakers but professionals and filmmakers um so let's go back into the critic where did this idea come from uh where how did you create this this is the first time you were writing it so how did you go about doing that based off of your 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 incubation from save the cat correct right so that so i had save the cat in my head um i had written pre previously even before COVID, I wrote this Disney Plus contest film um, that I did not get accepted for. They were having these minority directors, and even though my name is Frank Kelly, um, and I look Anglo, I'm actually Nicaraguan, but I don't think anyone at Disney Plus bought that. Um, and so, so, but, but, but that's when I really kind of started filling with the, with, the, with the structure of Save the Cat. So during COVID, I thought, well, let's, let me see if I can find a hotel, because I, I love these hotel movie ideas, right? Because... So much happens at hotels. Like, like you, you see enough hotels, and you start seeing either stories that you create or that transpire at hotels. Uh, people meet, people fall in love. And you find, I mean, the, the many little movies. Like a hotel has a mini movie in every trip. Things that happen to families and couples and people. So I, I love the notion of hotels being this place where you can tell stories. Um, and so I already had a few generic stories that that were that would have worked for any given hotel, but when I walked the Biltmore, um, they were always, they, they always talked about elements that were uh, um, haunted, right? Like the Biltmore has these haunted elements to it. Al Capone, his goon got shot up in the penthouse at a party where Al Capone and all his goonies were hanging. So there's legend that that, that goon, I forget his name, haunts the hotel. Uh, in World War II, they converted the hotel into a hospital ward for for wounded soldiers. So there's a lot of like shining elements to this beautiful historic hotel. So when they kept telling me this, it, it just occurred to me to tell a love story with a little ghost twist at the end. I, I just gave away my ending, but I think it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It was it was very very well done. Um, so did you did you go off and 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 um find any real historical idea or did it just come from the seed of loving the ghost story you know well no i guess after that after this property after the hotel person gave me the tour of the hotel um 
uh, I just, I, you know, I try, combining the story where, where two people are flirting and, and having a twist at the end where he's a ghost, um, it kind of came to me after, the, after that walkthrough of the hotel. But, but to, your, to answer your question about how much research did I do, yes. I spend a good enough amount of time researching, okay, you know, because the main character is a hotel caddy from the 1930s. And so reading up and doing research on all these figures that walk through the hotel. And then and another thing I did is uh, the hotel, you'll notice in the movie, every, in every hallway, they have these old photographs from the 30s. And I had to find the right photograph. I mean, we're talking about every floor maybe has 60, and it's 14 floors. So I spent a good day just with like looking at every picture and finding that one picture that I can superimpose our lead actor in with virtual effects so that at the end when our lead actress sees that you see our character in this 1930s world so so that was a big part of the research too just looking at all those pictures and just kind of imagining what what it must have been like to be affluent in the 30s and i gotta tell you it must it, it looked like it was great i mean they had a, the, the the scale of parties that they did in the 30s has nothing on us, I mean, today, like we we don't we don't we don't do big scale anymore like they used to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, where do you see yourself in the next five years? Five years, I see myself uh, really feeding into into what drives me. It's these high concept crowd pleaser stories that are can be watched by a family. Um, you know, I I always feel if if I if if you walk out of a out of a movie theater that plays my film, if you walk out of that movie feeling better than when you walked in, I feel like I did my job. If you walk out with a smile on your face and because the film just resonated with you, like it's funny, at the screening, this one woman was in tears. She came out in tears. Um, and she said that we just spoke to her. She had stayed at the Biltmore when she was a kid. She was from Miami, living in LA. And she, 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 she was so excited to come say hello and she was her little daughter. And she was tearing up. She's like, it's just very emotional, and it was beautiful. And uh, so, so that's what I mean by like, if you can, it, you know, if I can tell a story that touches someone uh, and just have them walk out in better light than when they walked in, that's that to me is uh, is enjoyable. Touching and influencing the emotional base of humans. That's what I think we're all in it for. Um, what is your piece of advice for um, people who may be transitioning from a different career, uh, latter part of their life? Um, what can you give them in insight that you've learned? If you're going to do it, make sure it's something that you obsess over. Like, don't just change a career because the money looks good um, or because it's the new trend. Um, do it because you obsess over it. Like, I, I obsess over movies. I mean, I always have the time to watch them all, but I love reading. Like, on my spare time, I'm always on one of these movie news sites, right? Seeing who's producing what and why. Um, and I, I remember, like, just being in awe of how some scenes are framed, of how, like, cinematic and how beautiful like a beautifully framed whether it's a wide shot or a medium shot or a close-up and like you know the more bouquet right the more the more <laughs> rich it looks and so you know I've always loved that stuff so for me it was just a matter of like all right then if I love this so much if you love something enough you're going to put more time into it and the more time you put into it the more you learn how to do it well and so but, but you have to always have that feel of the passion the love for it so if you're going to make that leap of faith, 
Make sure it's something that truly drives you and motivates you. And then just put in the hours, right? Put in the hours. <clears throat> you can't put in the hours if, you don't, if, it, if it doesn't interest you that much. So put in the hours if you love it. The hours will be rewarding that you put into it because you're learning something you love. Uh, and then just be meticulous about you know, your strategy. Um, like I did, like, okay, I'm going to learn how to shoot these cameras. You know, these, I think these guys, when I got these, like, they eat like 50, 80 bucks each. The camera was a thousand. So I'm okay, I'll put in 5,000 a gear and I'm going to go find a friend. I'm going to, you know, he had a boat. We had some sunglasses and we made a fake sunglass commercial on the boat. Uh, and yeah, and then we went to boat companies and showed them that and said, hey, we can do a boat video. Um, you know, I did my research on casting agencies in Miami. You know, where where do you get models to shoot in these videos? So, so have a strategic plan of execution with an with a realistic end goal. Um, like my realistic end goal is to make my first spec commercial within the year, and that I will then show to other, you know, like minded brands. If anyone wants to follow um, the festival circuit with you on. Um your uh short uh where can they follow they can go to frank kelly films on instagram and then um there i've been posting you know some updates on the on dance with films and and uh whatever else comes next right i, I know we've gone to the manhattan film festival and it's funny another thing um you asked me what i learned about this festival run i i i've learned that some festivals carry more clout than others and some festivals want that world premiere status, right? So when I learned that uh, I was in consideration for Dance With Films, I did some homework and I, and they said they, 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 I realized they kept asking me, would we still be world premiere status? And so um, I've talked to a few friends of mine. Like I, I, I rejected. I got accepted into a few festivals and I rejected some lesser ones, um, like the Paris Short Film Festival, the Montreal Independent Film Festival, um, in hopes of of still retaining that global premiere for Dance of the Films, and it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it, that's interesting that you bring that up. That when when the festival, because I run a festival, when we were on the ground, that was really a, a, a more key component. Um, when we didn't have the global impact that we can now with hybrid festivals i think that may still be strategically used uh by some of the film festivals but really i see that going away as that's really not that much uh important doesn't have as much gravitas uh as it once did um as this whole post-pandemic hybrid festival virtual festival combination you know starts to happen so um but thank you so much Frank, for joining us, um, uh, for those uh, wanting to follow him, just uh, find him and follow where he's screening next. Uh, thank you for uh, appearing on Best in Fest. For all of those that want to see the video component, please go to the LaFemme International Film Festival YouTube channel and you can find it there. We're on all the podcast platforms. Don't forget to rate us and uh, like us. And if you have any uh, questions, uh, DM us and we will try and do our best to get back to you as promptly as possible. Thank you to Frank Kelly for joining us.